Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Welcome to the Great Woman in Compliance podcast with Lisa Fine and Mary Shirley. We feature alongside other popular compliance-centric podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network. I'm Mary Shirley, and today I have one of my favorite Great Women in Compliance with me, Courtney Sander. Courtney, welcome. Thanks so much, Mary. I'm glad to join you today. It's, uh, I would count you as my, one of my favorite people as well. Oh, that's so lovely. <laughs> So, Courtney, <laughs> to start us off, will you tell us about your journey to compliance? Absolutely. I would say that my journey is uh, unlike anyone else's journey, but I think that that goes for for everyone in this industry. I don't think really anyone grew up expecting to be a compliance professional. I certainly didn't put that on my poster in kindergarten, mm-hmm. um, but I had an indirect route to compliance. I was, believe it or not, hired into a temp role being a receptionist right after college. And it was just in an ethics and compliance office. And the more I was exposed to their work and saw what they did and and their impact and relationship within the business, I really liked what they did. So I spent a lot of time researching the role and the profession and figuring out the right training and education Mm -hmm. for someone to to have an in-house compliance role. And through that process, I I sat for the the CCEP exam. I earned a master's in applied and professional ethics from the University of Leeds. And I did all this at the same time as working in my full-time role. Um, So if anyone out there is doing this right now, I totally sympathize, but it's worth it. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think... One of the the great ways that I learned um, early on is I just I just enjoyed meeting people and talking with people at the SED conference, and I've been with uh, been to every conference since I I started in compliance in some form or capacity, um, and in fact I sat in a session back in 2016 uh, led by a guy at Bradcat Ricardo Polavone. I, I loved his messaging and his approach to compliance. And I just remember sitting there thinking, wow, I wish this is something that I could have in mm. my compliance program. And, uh, you know, that was, it was really exciting. But all the same way, you know, I sat there, I was like, huh, I wonder what it's like to work for him. Do nothing but help people solve <laughs> compliance problems. Maybe I should go introduce myself. Mm. Yeah, you shouldn't do that. That'd be too, too fangirl. And there's probably keys out in the hall. So <laughs> I introduced myself. <laughs> I, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed the cookies uh, instead. Like I think uh, it might tempt all of us from time to time. <laughs> Fast forward five months and I opened my LinkedIn and had a message from Ricardo and he wanted to talk to me about a job. So the whole process moved insanely fast and I can't believe it's already been more than, than two years. So that being said, if I could give advice to three years ago, Courtney, it'd be to introduce yourself to the people whose ideas excite you. If that's a speaker at a conference, skip the cookies and and go meet them. Or if you read something, a blog post, a magazine article, something, write to that person, phone them up, just really start that conversation. 
I totally agree. And I think you would probably feel the same way that, um, you know, with us speaking at, at conferences ourselves from time to time, there is nothing more fulfilling or satisfying in terms of vindicating you for doing a good job when people come up to you afterwards and introduce themselves and tell you about something specific that they really enjoyed during your session. So um, whether it's to make connections um, or to just let another human being know that they've done a fantastic job, um, it's truly rewarding to go up and, and make sure that you introduce yourself when someone's made an impact. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Somebody has poured a lot of time and effort and energy into whatever it is that they've written or spoken on. So it's always good to hear that positive feedback from people. That's right. Well, I'm glad that um, you got there in the end. And um, if you are a long-time listener of the podcast, you've probably started noticing a bit of a theme by now, which is that compliance destiny uh, seems to be a real thing. Um, so that's great. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I'd like to um, chat with you a little bit about training now, as that's one of your um, key areas of skill. Um, tell me, what are some of the novel and innovative ideas that you're seeing, some of the trends and patterns um, that uh, your clients are veering towards that seem to be popular right now in compliance training? Sure, sure. No, it's, a, it's a great question. I'm actually seeing a lot of people uh, take a step back from training and, and not what, in a way that you might think when you hear that. I'm hearing um, people really talk about empowering their managers and having managers or compliance champions or, you know, whatever network that of employees, regular employees you have uh, throughout the business really take on more of an active role in giving them a more um, a practical um, uh, charge, if you will, um, with the business and just kind of serving in that compliance role. And so I think to do that, the, the folks that I'm talking with, um, you know, they're working with business leaders and managers to understand what it is that that they do. It's about empowering the managers to lead the discussion with their teams and finding a less obtrusive way to, to train people. Um, I know here at Broadcat, we've made that easy for people with Broadcat for Champions, but this is, this is really achievable that, that anyone can do right now. Um, you know, people are just seeking out ways to make things practical and, and efficient and, and really just, you know, do more um, for the business while, you know, monitoring costs and what you're spending to, to do initiatives. And I think the most rewarding part about that is when I hear people talk about it, they, they again, hear that positive feedback that everyone loves to receive uh, about how, you know, this is, um, you know, super helpful and simple and straightforward. So I know there's a, there's a big push to make things, um, you know, friendlier and more approachable and just, giving people a positive experience and helpful experience that way. That's great. And you're right. I wouldn't have necessarily guessed that that's what you were going to say, but I do see a great deal of value in terms of being able to tailor your message um, to, to have it be super effective for the people that you're targeting with this, uh, this messaging that may not be conventional training. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's a lot. It means a lot of space time with the business and mm-hmm. and talking with mm-hmm. middle managers about what it is that that their teams do and talking with with the doers, if you will, the people who are actually doing the the risky things or the risky processes, and just understanding what it is that they do. Not so much about what a policy or procedure says or what existing training says. It's about what people actually do in their day to day jobs. Awesome. That sounds good. And then um, turning now to to historical trends, um, several years ago, we started seeing a strong turn away from very lengthy online training towards modules that were no longer than 20 minutes. And then that sort of created a further wave um, shortly afterwards that uh, there was a trend towards training in bite-sized pieces that were even shorter, like vignettes. What are the current best practices uh, you've been observing? Sure. No, you're you're absolutely right. I think there's been a, a significant shift in in people seeking out shorter shorter training. Um, you know, and that's that's still come pretty pretty recent in the grand the grand scheme of things. You're seeing um, things that are in fact very short. You're absolutely right. Um, but I don't think it's it's only just about that. I'm seeing people being more purposeful and and mindful of the training that they do offer. And I think by that I really mean they're working smarter, um, not harder. I don't think training needs a, a number, um, you know, like a certain length assigned to it for the sake of doing it, unless of course there's some regulatory requirement you see out there that says that you must do two hours of training annually. For the training that you're you're providing your employees, um, they're they're thinking about what is is helpful to that employee. They're, I'm hearing a lot more about what is effective um, in connecting compliance training with business outcome, not just completion rates or total hours spent training. And I think this goes back to um, you know kind of the last question as well. There's people partnering with audit and finance and HR and other functions to gather real business data to demonstrate how training is working um, in, in the business, not just focusing on what you you might read in a uh, survey or completion rate or um, just the total number of hours spent by everyone doing training at the organization. That's great. And, and everything you said there makes total sense. Um, I was speaking at a panel at Compliance Week um, recently, and one of the things that we discussed was whether, you know, the push for 100% completion leads to vicious compliance. And my view is that, you know, it's not entirely helpful to simply rely on high completion rates as successful or effective training. I think you have to be um, measuring more whether the the training was found to be relevant, um, useful for the employees. I know at Broadcat, you guys like to say, does it affect the way that um, they do their the day to day jobs and decision making? Um, and yep. it's it's um, whether people comprehend what you've you've tried to say rather than blindly clicking through um, the materials. I think my, my view on the other hand, though, is if you don't do that, the alternative is um, not uh, prioritizing um, the valuing completing training, and then the alternative looks awful. Like if you have only 23% um, completion, uh, well, that's worse, I think, than the other way around. So I, I think I would 
continue with um, encouraging people to complete their training, but not relying on it as the sole metric for whether you're doing a great job um, with your training component of your compliance program. Sure, sure. No, absolutely. I think it's 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 something to to consider. You know, is is this something that is is mandatory? And you're thinking about like, well, why why is my training not getting completed? You know, why do mm-hmm. I only have twenty three percent? You know, and and a lot of that is just because I think unfortunately there's been a, a historical, um, uh, you know, people haven't looked favorably on on compliance training. Um, in the past, and I, I know when when I talk about you know what I do with my my non compliance friends, I I hope we all have some of those out there who are people <laughs> you, you talk about compliance training. You know, people uh, people don't usually have a really great reaction, unfortunately, um, to having completed compliance training at at some point or another. Um, and so it, it's good to see, um, you know, a shift by, you know, just making things relevant and getting that positive feedback that you, you, you hope to get in the first place. Awesome. That's, that's fully aligned with what I think. Are you still seeing um, companies desperately trying to hold on to overly lengthy, um, very legalistic, so not layman friendly training materials and policies? Oh, Absolutely. Wowzers! I'm shocked. <laughs> so, I, I, um, you know, I think it's a, a process that that takes time, and not only that, but it pushes you as an individual out, outside of your comfort zone. So, what I would encourage um, anyone really is is to ask yourself the question: Why? Why am I writing this? Whether that's training or policies and procedures, like think about what the outcome is, is, is what you're going for. You know, I think it, um, you know, don't think so much about um, the legal aspects, uh, you know, focusing on just the, what the, the law says and telling people about the law. These are all great things for, for us to know as, as compliance professionals um, and, and lawyers, as, as I know many, uh, many people wear, wear two hats. Um, but the important thing is to, to focus on behavior because that's what compliance really is. And so it means that you should be translating those risks um, in empowering people to, to do their jobs a certain way. And I think, uh, you know, one of the ways that you can really do, do that is put yourself in the other person's shoes. And I'm not talking just about, um, you know, just if you were doing this, this frontline job, what, how would you approach the role? But really more, you know, really being that, that person, you know, how would you respond to having to take this training or read this policy? Are you going to know how to do your job? And I think if we, we really stop to ask ourselves more often, I, I think you'd see it a shift in the entire compliance industry. Mm, I think that's right. I think that's absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's important. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, sorry. Um, I think there was a bit of a, a delay. Um, what, what I was thinking, and actually this was said at the, um, the conference recently as well, and I'm, I'm forgetting who um, necessarily to attribute to it. It may have been Hui Chen saying that we need to stop thinking about compliance from our own perspective, you know, that of the compliance officers, and really Absolutely. from the perspective of our internal stakeholders. And 
Um, I think we've, to a certain extent, always known that, and that is why there has been that shift from the policeman um, to the enabler of business. But I think we need to be more conscious of it. And what I mean by that is not just, um, you know, smiling at everyone in the office rather than looking like a... (laughs) Turn, uh, compliance person, but rather, as you point out, asking yourself, how would this be received if I turned up on my first day working for this company and I couldn't do anything apart from complete the 27 mandatory trainings that have been assigned to me, how does that look and feel and what is the risk proportionality of, of even doing that in the first place? Yes. I, I talk to a lot of people who are are partnering, you know, for those those kind of new hire training sessions or like promoting, you're now a manager. Congratulations. Here, here's some more stuff that you need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, we're really partnering with um, the people that put together those training sessions so that they can build compliance in from the start. You know, you're learning about your your hotline, your, you know, the, the fact that you have an ethics and compliance program shouldn't be something that's necessarily buried. But on the on the flip side, uh, you can build compliance into to what people are already talking about. It's just mm-hmm. um, you know something that could be overlooked. So there mm-hmm. there's many opportunities there. Absolutely. Courtney, your LinkedIn profile highlights operationalizing compliance, which is a key focus area for your firm. What does operationalizing compliance really mean? And what are the signs when we're not quite getting it right? Sure. So operationalizing uh, means that you're putting compliance into process, both in the way something is designed mm-hmm. and also the way that you, you serve up guidance. Mm-hmm. But let me give you kind of a, a regular example. That's something like you forget your password to an account. You go to log in and you know it's been a while, your password, your password manager loses your password, uh, whatever the case might be, you don't know the password. So there's a button right next to the login that says forgot password. Mm-hmm. You click that button and you you enter your email address and you know you you either answer some questions right there on the website to get your password reset or you get an email with a link to click. All of that is really built into process. And if that wasn't operationalized, you'd have to go look on another part of that website to figure out how to reset your password. Or you'd send an email to someone asking them how you, you know, how you reset your password or request it to be reset. And my guess, um, if you're like me, you might send that password email uh, to the wrong person, you know, because it, it's maybe <laughs> unclear of, of where you're supposed to get that, that guidance. Mm-hmm. So now mm-hmm. you have, uh, you know, potentially um, you've had to go seek out the resources and you're not sure how to do it. And then you end up, you know, doing it wrong. In the compliance world, compliance to me should really practically fly under under the radar in your day-to-day operations of of the business. All of the compliance risks that we we work to evaluate and mitigate should be addressed in those functional processes and guidance, not something Mm -hmm. that's slapped on or bolted on to, to the way everything else is done. I used to call this uh, before operationalizing was was a term um, that I knew about. Uh, I I called it sneak training, um, and 
that was just really because, uh, you know, I was providing people compliance training guidance. They just didn't know that they Mm -hmm. were receiving compliance training and guidance. It had my fingerprints all over it as being something that was um, compliance related. Um, But they just saw it as functional, practical guidance. So I can, you know... Let me walk through uh, just a, a quick example of, of what that, that looks like. Yes, please. Um, yeah. So one of the clients that um, I, I've worked with, she she worked with her, her business. She's super on board with, with operationalizing. And so what she did was she sought out four of her riskiest processes as an organization, just four. And what she did for those, um, kind of in that planning stage, was she sought out the subject matter experts, the process corners. She identified the systems that were used in those risky processes. And then she figured out a way to edit or modify the existing notifications that people received um, when they were doing those risky things. So it wasn't... Um, you know, they were really getting that compliance messaging and guidance every time they they needed um, they needed the help to do that. Uh, you know, it's about serving up guidance when when people need it, when it's convenient for them, not so much of mm-hmm. you know a, a schedule that you create or it's it's at your convenience. Um, but to be clear, that is sorry. Oh no, I'm missing delay. <laughs> It's okay. It's okay. No, I, I, I was just going to say, I, I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's that project takes time, you know, sure. You're, you're tackling for high risk things, which is fantastic, but each one of those really took, you know, a, a good quarter to, to really sort through. Mm. The, it reminds me of, of just in time training, um, which we know absolutely. is incredibly effective. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just in time is about, you know, if you're, you know, somebody's booking an international trip, you're giving them the guidance that they need to prep before they go on that trip. Or if they're reviewing an invoice or expense report, you're giving them the offering, the guidance when they go to do that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or if you're hiring somebody from a competitor, you're, you're helping them functionally and also giving them antitrust guidance all at the same time. So it, it's really about modifying existing things a lot of the time, not necessarily creating something entirely new. Absolutely. One of the, um, the, the it's not really just in time training, but one of the techniques I like to use is process infographics. So like quick reference sheets that people get, maybe it's not just in time, maybe it's something for later. So for example, for you know dawn raid guidelines maybe you've got a policy in place but it's not super easy to just casually and calmly think back to that training when there are (laughs) you know unannounced regulators knocking on your door um and so (laughs) to to combat that um i like to have a um dawn raid guideline, which is basically, you know, three to four simple steps for the person at the front desk. So, you know, um, you know, offering the um, people a place to sit down whilst you call legal and compliance um, and, and so on and laying out the, the steps so that even if they don't remember it from the training, uh, it's in their desk drawer as a really um, visually appealing 
infographic, which I know Broadcat um, is uh, obviously uh, keen on. And then on the, the back of that sheet, um, listing the key contacts in legal and compliance and not just, um, you know, the, the one person who's the head, but in case they're not available, um, the, the going down the chain to ensure that you catch someone, uh, external counsel. Um, and so where just-in-time training can, cannot necessarily be identified, uh, which I think is unfortunately often, um, I recommend using um, these quick reference uh, tip sheets uh, to help people when they're stuck in moments where they have to, to think quickly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, you're you're exactly right. You know, if you're you find yourself in that situation, uh, which I must point out is a fantastic uh, quick reference guide, if I do say so myself. <laughs> um, but there, you know, you can train people on on you know what to do if you you've been asked to to pay a bribe, um, and that's not something they're just going to pull out of their wallet and be like, "Excuse me, sir, uh, can you please hold mm-hmm. while you're you know trying to bribe me?" Right. Um, while I pull the car. You, you really just want to prep them, you know, uh, so that they, they can handle those situations and you can walk them through that thought process because, um, you know, just helping people think through things can be super helpful. And so you can, you know, provide it when you're, you know, uh, you know, as a takeaway from some sort of live training or, you know, even if you're doing an online module, it can be a, a takeaway that you can follow up with by email. There's, there's lots of opportunities to give people practical guidance, even if you're, you're having to look beyond, um, you know, kind of just in time or operationalizing things. Absolutely. That was really interesting. Thank you for taking the time to explain it. I know it's not necessarily completely intuitive, so I appreciate you walking us through. Oh, absolutely. Courtney, a challenge for women who look youthful and in fact may also be youthful uh, in the workplace is that um, it's, it's harder to be taken seriously. And um, working on just executive presence alone can only go so far. What advice do you have for younger female leaders and subject matter experts striving to get the right professional attention, appropriate levels of respect, and credibility as a compliance leader? Absolutely. Now, first of all, I I take that as a compliment. So, so thank you, Mary. <laughs> um, um, but I think this is good advice to, to anyone, um, you know, whether you're, uh, you probably might find yourself in a situation when you're just suggesting a new way of doing things. You know, if you're suggesting um, making a break from, from long or legalistic training, for example, that we've talked about today, a, you're going to run into challenges like this. Um, and I would say, you know, it's, it's about being uh, approachable and, and truly solving problems. And I think the, the big shift for me um, came when I stopped focusing on my, my own agenda, you know, what I was conditioned mm-hmm. um, to, to say or ask, like, you're a compliance professional, you should do this. Um, you know, and I, I started seeking more opportunities to, to partner outside of compliance. Um, 
you know, and I, I think that can, it was a challenge. I mean, it was a lot of work to, to start uh, partnering with people and having those conversations and, and sitting down with them and talking with them about, Hey, what is it that your team does? What is it that you do? Um, you know, and it, it forced me to, to speak uh, another language, but when you're, you're speaking that other language, the business's language, you're really able to get traction because people, um, you're putting people at ease because you're, you're demonstrating that you understand what it is that their team does, what they do. Um, and that was really energizing for me. And I think there's just a certain amount of being a compliance leader that involves a lot of servant leadership. Mm -hmm. It means that your, your organization's um, people, you're going to help them really become those, those experts in their own roles and you'll be seen as an ally to the business and not a, Mm -hmm. not an adversary. Because Mm. when Compliance, when people do their jobs compliantly, it means that they're not having to, to redo certain projects or tasks or whatever it is that they're working on. Um, and that's just going to make people more productive and efficient. And that means the business is likely going to do better as a whole as well. And so I think when you're able to show that real demonstrable evidence with what you're doing um, in your compliance program and how it's truly adding value to the organization as a whole. It, it really helps to, to, you know, just turn your, turn your compliance program up to 11 and give it the rocket fuel it needs to, to, you know, truly serve the organization. Hmm. That's great advice. Thank you so much for joining me today, Courtney. It's been our, our pleasure having you. Well, thank you so much. I truly enjoyed our conversation, Mary. Me too. To wrap up today's session, I wanted to let you know that if you're interested in ethics and compliance training benchmarking, NAVEX Global does have such a benchmark report available, which is along the same lines as their hotline benchmark report, which you might be more familiar with. 2018 is the latest training one. Um, Now, unfortunately, to get the paper, you do have to sell your soul and provide your contact details. And I must admit that your contact information is a pricey quid pro quo. Uh, One of the findings from this report is that according to respondents of the survey, training was identified as the top compliance program component that prevented misconduct over the last three years. My uh, perspective is that instilling a culture of integrity um, is the real key to preventing misconduct, but perhaps it's not expressly considered a compliance program element yet. My view is embedding a culture of integrity into the business is not something that organically occurs by hoping for the best by hiring good people. It's something that we in compliance need to actively think of in terms of implementing specific initiatives and work streams that go well beyond isolated compliance fair and compliance week activities. So if it's not an established compliance program component, it should be. That's all for now. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review. 